0: Praise God. Church, is he a miracle worker? He works miracles. Every day he is at work around the world, drawing men and women and children to faith in himself. The gospel is true. And I see a room full of people who've been miracleized by the gospel. Jesus changes hearts and lives. My name is Kenneth Bruce, and I'm the senior pastor here at Westwood, and I want to welcome you and thank you so much for taking time to worship with us this morning. If you're a visitor, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I want to welcome those of you watching via live stream. Thank you for taking time to gather with us this morning. As a faith family, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark together through a sermon series called On the Move. What we want to do throughout this year is take time to hear stories of life change, of the miracle work of God, of how he is indeed on the move. And this morning, um, I've asked Maggie Danzer to come and share with us her story about the power of the gospel, of how Jesus has the ability to change someone's hearts. So can we welcome Maggie and thank you for coming to serve us today? Thank you.
1: As far back as I can remember, I've been in church. I even enjoyed teaching Sunday school lessons to my little brother on the felt boards. Um, But at about eight years old, I asked Jesus into my heart. I knew I wanted to be with Him, I wanted to live like Him, and I wanted to be loved by Him. Um, As I grew up, I learned quite a few Bible truths, and in my early teens, I was involved in my church as as much as possible. I was there almost every day of the week. When I was about 16 years old, I experienced the first of many struggles as a Christian. Um, I started dating a guy in my youth group that was not the best of boyfriends. And at about that same time, I started having dreams and remembering childhood trauma that um, I had to learn to deal with. And at that point, I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know how to express what was going on inside or what was going on in my relationship. So I was very isolated, or I felt isolated. I was very sad and lonely and, um, but I kept that smile on my face and acted as if everything was fine like everybody expected me to. Fast forward a few years, um, I met a guy through my sister and shortly thereafter we became pregnant and got married and I knew he was not the man that God wanted me to be with. Um, his actions and his lifestyle was not cohesive with God but I figured that it brought a relationship, a friendship with my sister. And so that relationship kind of counteracted the negativeness in the relationship. Um, Our son was born and he was supposedly born healthy. And then the day we were going home, we were told by the doctors that he had heart defects and he would be going to New Orleans and have to have open heart surgery. At nine days old, he had his first one and it was successful. Um, and then at seven weeks, he had to have another one, and it was not as successful. Um, He passed away at seven weeks old. And the only way I can describe how I felt is to say at that moment, I was pretty angry with God. I had begged him for seven weeks to heal my son, and he decided not to. Um, So I would kind of be really ashamed if y'all knew the exact words that I used um, when I was so angry with him. But um, I was hurting, I was miserable. I didn't know how to move forward. Um, I came depressed and many times pulled out in front of vehicles, cars, trucks, 18 wheelers to try and take that pain away. Um, But God wasn't ready. Um, So we divorced and I eventually met my second husband. Um, And we became pregnant, and I was terrified. Um, But month by month, everything seemed to be okay. And then about seven and a half months into the pregnancy, we had a routine ultrasound, and we were told that our son was going to be diagnosed with hydrocephalus. Which hydrocephalus, it's a buildup of cerebral spinal fluid in the um, brain cavity. And so it causes... um, extra mental, intellectual, physical disabilities. My grief and disappointment once again stirred up uh, my frustration and my anger, and I aimed it all at God. All I could see was that everybody seemed to be getting exactly what they wanted, and I wasn't that healthy baby. A few years later, I became pregnant again a third time, and in my fourth month of pregnancy, the doctor said, guess what? He has hydrocephalus too. So I said, "Really? You got to be kidding me, God!" Um, there you go, being cruel again. So there were a lot of sweet, wonderful people that gave me sweet, wonderful, compassionate words like, um, "You're so strong." God only gives special kids to special people, and God never gives you what you can't handle. I really wanted to scream at them and tell them how stupid they sounded to me, but instead I smiled and said thank you. Um, which felt like, again, the response that was expected of me. And of course, y'all, I love my kids. I love all three of my boys more than anything. But the anger that I felt towards God increased every day with every small struggle, with every big struggle. Um, I would constantly ask myself, why was God intent on hurting me so badly? Or why did he want to hate me so much, or what did I deserve? What did I do to deserve this? Although my second marriage lasted 15 years, there were a lot of affairs and abuse throughout it. Um, Although I was far from God, I knew that I was worth more than what I was being made to believe and feel. When I told my mom um, of my plans for my divorce, she gave me some wonderful advice. She said, I want you to pray. And I thought, yeah, you've lost your mind. Um, Me? Pray? I don't think so. What a joke. Satan had convinced me that God hated me, and I hated him back. So, however, I managed to accept her challenge, and I started praying. Or at first, they were screaming matches. And then they turned into begging sessions, and then they were confession sessions, and then they became peaceful loving talk sessions, and um, during that same time, I had a wonderful Christian friend that was praying for me, and I didn't even know it, but she was, and she kind of invited me or more conned me into coming to Westwood, because she told me of this great class that there was for my kids, and so I knew my kids needed that, so here we are. Um, what I didn't know then, and I know now better, is that over that 20 plus years of struggle and proclaiming that I hated God, He didn't hate me. Um, he was still working in my life. He was still showing me the miracles that He can do through my children. They were, they were developing and accomplishing things that were medically impossible for them to accomplish. Um, There's a song that speaks to me every time I hear it, and it's called The God That Stays by Matthew West. It says, He is a God that stays and stands with open arms, and nothing I have ever done can separate me from Him. He is always there waiting for us to return to find our way back to Him. I don't stand here today and say that my relationship with God is 100% where I want it to be but I can say that my relationship with him is so much sweeter and more intimate than I ever thought possible. I have a desire to know him and obey him that I could have never imagined. He empowers me to overcome what would otherwise be overwhelming. If you would allow me to encourage you with these words, I would say to you, as Paul says over and over in Romans 8, 37 and 38, but all things... We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has been steadfast in redeeming me to himself. He is forgiving, he's gracious. And he's long suffering. He has been faithful to me, and if you allow him, he will be faithful to you. Thank you.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, sweet girl. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh. The gospel is true, and the Lord's been so kind. I-, I love her two boys, Dawson and Peyton. Dawson has the most beautiful smile you've ever seen, and every week Peyton calls for my resignation. I mean, they are just precious boys that love to cut up and laugh, and I just, the Lord has been so kind. And if I can also say that we have a fantastic special needs ministry here. Uh, Brad and Laura Hines do a phenomenal job of loving and caring for children and for young adults with special needs, and the Lord has been so, so kind. It was amazing to listen to Maggie's story and to hear how the Lord orchestrates and even ordains storms so that we might cry out to him. That Lord would ordain situations in which we are absolutely desperate. And it is there in the desperation that he meets with us and he changes us with the power of his gospel. And that is what we see happening in Mark chapter four. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Again, we're walking through this great gospel together as a faith family in a sermon series on the move. This is an action packed, uh, fast-paced gospel. Mark is emphasizing the works of Jesus, not so much the teaching of Jesus, but the work of Jesus, all of the actions, the miracles that God is doing through Jesus. It's incredible work. When we get to the end of Mark chapter four, we see Jesus in a boat with his disciples. The scripture says in Mark chapter four, verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Jesus is Lord over all creation. He works all things according to the counsel of his will and nothing is outside of his sovereign care and control, including the weather. Notice in the text these three truths. We see first Jesus' purpose for the storm. Verse 35, on that day, Now, as we've seen throughout chapter four, Jesus has been teaching all day. Crowds have been pushing and shoving, trying to touch him. They want to experience the power of his healing. We see back in chapter three, verse 20, that the crowds are so great that he and his disciples, they're not even able to eat. So as evening came, Jesus gathers his disciples after a long day of ministry. They get into a boat and he tells them, let's head over to the other side of the sea. Now, the Sea of Galilee, it's also called by Luke Lake Gennesaret. It's somewhat oval-shaped, and you can see on the on the screen here, it's got an area of about 64 square miles, which is very similar to the size of Lake Martin. Jesus has been ministering in Capernaum, which is where the yellow dot is on the top left-hand corner in the northwest corner. And he is gonna be taking his disciples in this fleet of boats, verse 36, headed to the red dot on the right side of the garrisons. It's about five miles in distance in which you can see clearly on the other side on a clear day. Well, Jesus says, verse 35, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. That word let's, it's a leadership word. The person who says let's is the leader. It's an initiative saying we're going to go do something. We'll dig into this more next week when we get to chapter five of why they go to the other side. But let's not uh, miss here that we see Jesus doing something on purpose. Jesus does everything with purpose. He's never passive. Jesus does not float along like a jellyfish in the current of life. He's assertive. He takes initiative behind all that he, is, he does. He is initiating something here. So they get into the boat. They head to the other side. But as they're crossing the lake, a storm comes along. Now, this storm did not take Jesus by surprise. This storm was providential. Indeed, Jesus is the one who knows all things. Jesus is never caught off guard. In fact, when you get to chapter eight and chapter nine and chapter 10, three different times, Jesus foretells how he's going to die. He's very specific about how he's going to be arrested, he's gonna be crucified, and how he's gonna rise again on the third day. Well, what we see here is Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was happening. He does everything with purpose, even crossing the lake late at night into an approaching storm. Well, Jesus here, we see him. He is the sovereign Lord over all things. And may I say to you, Jesus is sovereign over your life. He is intentional in everything that comes into your life. Hear me, nothing happens to you by accident. The Lord has purpose behind every action and event in your life. Nothing catches God by surprise. He has purpose in all that he does. And if you are in Christ, then indeed Romans eight twenty nine he is working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Now, not everything feels good. Not everything is good. But God is working everything for your good. Genesis We see Joseph, who is betrayed by his brothers. He is sold into slavery. He finds himself in prison, alone, and far from home. But God raises him up to be the second in command over all of Egypt. There comes a day at the end of Genesis chapter 50 where his brothers are weeping at his feet. In Genesis 50 verse 20, it says, What you meant for evil, God meant for good. We see God orchestrating all kinds of tragedy, and yet He works it for the good of His people. Whatever you're going through, God loves you so much that He is using it for your good. And God is teaching you something through it. God is always teaching you. Question Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you learning from what God is trying to teach you in the midst of your trial? Even as we see here in chapter four, Jesus is teaching in the most extreme of situations. For as they're crossing the lake, the scripture says, verse 37, a great windstorm arose. That word for great, verse 37, it's where we get the word mega. This was a a mega windstorm. This is large, it's great, it is violent here. It's like a hurricane. Now, storms are common on the lake here of the Sea of Galilee, on this Lake of Gennesaret. Warm winds will come off the Mediterranean Sea from the west, and warm winds will come in from the east out of the desert. They'll swoop down from the, through the mountains onto the lake, and they bring these terrible storms. Now, remember who's in the boat. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. We see back in chapter one, verse 16, and chapter one, verse 18, these four guys are fishermen, fishermen on this exact lake. They grew up here. This is their home court. This is where they made their living. They're very familiar with the storms of what would come onto this body of water. And as they're there, we see that the storm is so bad, it's so intense that even these four guys who knew this lake like the back of their hands, they begin to panic in fear. Now, what does this situation remind you of? A man of God, asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm with sailors panicking. It's remarkable how this moment parallels the experience of the prophet Jonah. Jesus and Jonah were both in a deep sleep on a boat both boats were in a storm both men were awakened by sailors who were fearful they were going to drown and Jonah told the men throw me overboard and the storm is going to cease in essence I'll be the sacrifice if you let me die you will live who does that sound like Jesus went into the most violent of storms on Good Friday. He willingly threw himself into a sea of suffering under Roman persecution, scourging, and suffering. He suffered under the crashing waves of God's wrath at the cross. Jesus endured the ultimate storm of God's judgment on Calvary's hill. You see, Jesus is the true and greater Jonah who died so that you will live. He went to the cross where he gladly gave his life because he loves you. He loves you so much that he goes and pays for the, the sacrifice that you're supposed to pay, but you can't. He dies the death that you and I deserve, and his blood is sufficient to cover all of your sins. It's the beauty and the power of the gospel. And just as Jonah was put into the belly of the fish for three days, Jesus was put into the belly of the earth For three days. But on the third day, he gets up out the grave and he is alive. He defeats even death itself. So those who turn from sin and trust in Jesus by faith, you receive eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We see gospel parallels, gospel implications here in the text. That we see Jesus had purpose for this storm. And he was going to put his power on display. That he has all authority over the wind and the waves, the hurricanes and the tempests, the droughts and the floods, the tornadoes and the cyclones. Jesus is Lord over them all. But this event is also pointing to something greater. It's the purpose for why he came, and that is ultimately the cross and the empty tomb. So we notice first here in the text, Jesus' purpose for the storm. I want you to see secondly, Jesus' peace in the storm. Jesus' peace in the storm. Now, what was Jesus doing in the middle of the storm? Sleeping. Verse 38, he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. Now remember, Jesus has had a full day of teaching and ministering to the crowds. Thousands of people have been clamoring for his attention, touching him, begging him to heal them and their loved ones. His fame has been so great that even in chapter three, verse 20, his own mom, Mary, and his half-brothers, they come to take him home to Nazareth, trying to get him away from all of this hype and all of this fame. So Jesus gets into the boat, and he goes to sleep. Y'all, ministry can be exhausting. Jesus has been giving his best, pouring himself out for the people, and here we see him sleep after doing battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and being threatened by evil Queen Jezebel. We see the next thing Elijah does, he goes into the wilderness, and he sleeps. Angel of the Lord wakes him up, and he has bread and Water, and then he sleeps again. You see, after using people for his glory, God works in such a way that one of the most godly things you can do after expending yourself for the glory of God in ministry is to take a nap. We see Jesus asleep, and notice his bedroom it's the stern, it's the back of a rocking boat. Here he is in the storm and he is sleeping like a baby. It's incredible to see here. After a day full of teaching truth and a day of healing the sick, he gets in the boat and he goes to sleep. Now, what's amazing here is we see both the deity and the humanity of Jesus on display. We well, yes, Jesus is God come in the flesh. We see this because he has power over the wind and the storms. We see the authority and the power of Jesus. He displays that he is God. And at the same time, we see the humanity of Jesus. He sleeps. We see throughout his life, Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry and he ate. We see Jesus would get thirsty and he would drink. We see where Jesus ultimately would die. And here he is, we see Jesus asleep. He is fully God and fully man. But here he is sleeping in the worst of storms. And the question is, how? How is it possible to sleep in the middle of a hurricane on a boat? I think for two reasons. Yes, Jesus was physically exhausted, I think, secondly, he was spiritually at peace. Now, what kind of peace is this? It's a confidence in the providence of God. It's a confidence in the purpose of God. It's a confidence in the plan of God. Jesus knew his work was not done until he died on the cross. There was no situation he would ever face in which he was outside of the omnipotent hand of God. Jesus could soundly sleep through a hurricane because he knew who was in control. When you go through suffering, when you go through trial, when the storms come your way, remember who is sovereign over all. Charles Spurgeon said it so well. He says, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. You can rest secure in the character of God and in the sovereignty of God that he is in control over all things. Deep sleep is a sign of deep trust in God. Jesus knew nothing could stop him from fulfilling his ultimate purpose, which was the cross. So in the storm, Jesus is at peace. Beloved, you too can have peace. You can have peace in your predicament. You can have rest on your rainy day. You can have tranquility in your tribulation when you rest in Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdens. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and I will give you rest. Jesus offers you rest. You physically can rest in him. He provides his peace. Isaiah chapter 26, verse three. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Jesus could sleep well in the middle of a storm because his mind was stayed on God. He trusted God and knew that the, God was up to something good in the midst of all of this. When the Lord is your trust, when your heart rests in him, when your mind is stayed on him, then you become like the wise man in Proverbs 3.24 says, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. You will lie down and your sleep will be pleasant. Beloved, when you rest in Jesus for salvation, you can rest secure in his peace. That no matter what comes your way, no matter what you face, you can have confidence that God is working for your good and he is up to good in all things. Great Southern Baptist missionary to China, Lottie Moon, she once wrote these words, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal till my work is done. Beloved, you are immortal until your work is done. You will not live one second longer than God sees fit and you and I work, and we labor for the Lord, and we know that we are immortal till the work he has called us to do is finally accomplished. Well, the disciples here, they're kind of like you and me when we're not resting in the Lord. When you and I are not trusting the Lord, we see the panic take place. Verse 38, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die. Now remember, some of these disciples, they're expert mariners. They've been, they've been growing up on this lake. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they made a living off of this water. But this storm is so great that the boat was being swamped with water, and they fear that they're going to drown. Now, and the, the disciples here, they're interpreting Jesus's sleep not as quiet confidence, but as indifference. You can hear it here in in their tone. Jesus, how can you sleep in a moment like this? This is it. We're finished. We're going down. We're about to become fish food. You see, the disciples, they call into question not only Jesus' character, but his compassion. Verse 38, don't you care? Don't you care that we're gonna die? You see, in the eye of the storm, the disciples, they're questioning Jesus instead of trusting Jesus. You can hear it in their voice. You can feel the panic. Jesus, don't you care? We've left everything for you. We've left our family. We've left our jobs. We've left our income. We've left security. We've sacrificed to be here with you. You've spent an entire day investing in thousands of people and just pouring out and taking care of their needs. And now here we are. Don't you care? Have you ever been in that situation? You've been in the middle of a storm and you're asking God, Don't you care? God, my my child is walking in disobedience. He's making foolish choices. God, don't you care? God, right now, there's more month than money. I don't know how financially we're going to make it. God, don't you care? God, how can you allow this diagnosis to come to me? Shouldn't this go to someone evil, something terrible? How about them? This isn't fair. God, don't you care? God, this job is just not working. It's like it's falling apart. I just don't want to wake up and go anymore. God, I'm in this terrible situation. God, don't you care? God, I'm in this relationship that is just painful and difficult. God, don't you care? Hear me on this. Do not interpret the silence of God as indifference, do not understand God's patience with his inactivity. You see, God never hurries. God never panics. God never fears the future. He never wrings his hand saying, "I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation." No, 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 no. What we see here is the disciples brought to the point of desperation. They're pleading with him, crying out to him, saying, God, would you please come through? This whole thing falls apart. If you don't step up, when you get to the point of desperation, you say, God, if you don't come through, this thing falls apart. That's exactly where he wants you to be. Desperately pleading, desperately crying out, God, I've got to have you. If you don't come through, this thing falls apart. I've got to have you. And that's where he shows his power. It's in a moment of desperation. Jesus slept at peace so that the disciples could see that they too could one day have peace in the midst of storms. As you go through difficulty, as you go through trial, allow it to compel you to be desperate for God. And he loves to show off his power and glory in those moments. We see Jesus here. He is displaying, he is modeling the character of God. He is peace in the midst of the storm. And so as the waves are crashing, as the wind is howling, as the water is filling the boat, Jesus is modeling perfect peace that is ours when we depend upon him. After experiencing incredible financial loss, the loss of property, And the loss of his two year old son in the great Chicago fire of 1871, Horatio wept. Two years later, he takes his family on a trip over to Great Britain and is unable to join his wife and four daughters on the trip, and so he sends them ahead of him, and he would follow several days later. His four daughters never made it. As the boat is crossing over the Atlantic, there's a shipwreck. The four girls drowned and his wife alone survived. When he received word about the shipwreck and the death of his four daughters, he got on the next boat he could to travel across the water. And as the ship that he was on crossed the location of where his four daughters took their last breath, he pulled out a pen and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Beloved, when you go through storms, when you go through pain, it can be well with your soul. Jesus offers you his peace. He says, I will be with you. Even in the midst of a storm, you can bank your soul upon him. Jesus' sleep in the midst of the boat is modeling the condition of our hearts in the midst of pain. So what we see here in the text is we see not only Jesus' purpose for the storm, we see Jesus' peace in the storm, but thirdly, we see here in the text Jesus' power over the storm. Look at the text, verse 39. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus rebuked the wind. Like a parent correcting their disobedient child, Jesus sets the wind straight. He tells it like it is, silence, be still. That literally means be muzzled, shut your mouth, Hurricane force winds, they are stopped by his word. He speaks and it stops. No hocus pocus, no holding up a staff just by his word. Only God can do that. What is that saying about Jesus? That's what this whole text is is driving us to. It's driving the reader to grab hold of Jesus, who is God, who has come in the flesh, who is sovereign over the storms. Jesus really is the one who is powerful even over the wind and the waves. And he proves it by silencing the storm with his word. Hebrews chapter one, verse two. says, God has appointed Jesus heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things, watch this, By his powerful word. Jesus created the world, Genesis 1, by his word. Jesus sustains the universe, Hebrews 1, by his word. Jesus commands Peter to walk on water by his word. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead by his word. And we see here in Mark 4, Jesus calms the storm by his word. Jesus is Lord over all of creation. He has all power and all authority to tell storms what to do. When Jesus speaks, storms obey. I think great Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper said it well when he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It all belongs to Jesus. He is Lord over it all. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things were made by him and for him, and through him all things hold together. And what we see, and we go back to the very beginning when Adam sinned in the garden, it brought death and destruction and division between God and man. Jesus was God's plan to restore the world back to himself. And though creation is groaning with hurricanes and tornadoes and droughts and floods and tsunamis and earthquakes and windstorms, Jesus is Lord over all of creation. And one day, Revelation 21, he's going to bring forth a new earth in which all of the destruction from the first, uh, first fall in Genesis 3 is going to be no more. You see, creation will no longer groan for the second Adam excuse me, for the first Adam, because the second Adam, Jesus, the one who is greater than Adam, the one who is more true than Adam, he will rule and reign over his perfect cosmos. What we see in Mark 4 is Jesus showing what his rule and his reign is. His kingdom is one that reverses the curse of Genesis 3. He is showing what it means to bring order to the chaos and to bring a dominion over creation. King David says of the Lord in Psalm 65, seven, you silence the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves and the tumult of the nations. Psalm 89, nine, you rule the raging sea when its waves surge, you still them. Westwood, behold the power of Jesus. He has the power to calm the storm and by his word, he does so. And watch what happens, verse 39. When he speaks, there was a great calm, choppy, dangerous waters became still like glass, reflecting the stars in the sky. Once he rebuked the storm, Jesus turns and he rebukes his disciples. Verse 40, then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Note how Jesus holds up Fear as the opposite of faith. You see, fear whimpers God can't. Faith declares God can and he will. When trials come knocking on the door of your life, who answers, fear or faith? Do you trust the one who is the Lord over all things? Well, the disciples, they're stunned by what Jesus has just done. Their mouths are probably wide open in shock. And notice what the text says. They're more terrified after he calmed the storm. They went from being scared to terrified. (laughs) They went from, oh my goodness, we're going to die, to, oh man, who's in the boat with us? They're terrified. They're mega fearful. And they ask one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The question to you Who is this? It's Jesus, and He is King, and He has authority over all things, even creation. And He has the power by His Word to exercise dominion and to stop anything that is contrary to His will. So, how do you and I respond before a king? That's the impact point, and it's this you bow bow before the all-powerful Lord of all creation. You see, this text is driving you and driving me to see Jesus for who he really is. He is Lord over all of creation and he has dominion over all of the cosmos and he is the Lord over your life and he has made a way for you to enter into a right relationship with him because he went and took on the ultimate storm at the cross. And it was there that the wrath of God that you and I deserve was placed upon him. And he gladly, willingly, and joyfully endured the cross so that when you trust in him, that is where you find peace. Peace with God, peace in your heart, and peace in the storms, all because of Jesus Christ.